Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Now, it's kind of funny is I'm already sort of losing track of how many days of offseason it's been. Not even in the actual part of the offseason. This is day eight. No. Show eight. I don't think we can go by days. That's too hard. That's way too hard. I got to count up weekends. No. Show eight of the offseason. Hi, everyone. April 20th. I remember in a younger time, this was a day that brought me great joy. Now it's just another day in April. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Sports Ethos presentation. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. And yada, yada, yada. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. Same old stuff. Sportsethos.com, the website of our benevolent overlords. I hope you will check that out. And of course, shout out to our friends over at Fantasy MLB today, putting hard work in on a five days a week baseball podcast. I've become a listener. I don't listen to the DFS side. Joe does some nice DFS work at the end, but I don't listen to that. I can't figure out DFS basketball, let alone baseball. But I need I need serious help with my fantasy baseball team. I probably should have been listening to that show before my season started, and I would have ended up with all wouldn't have ended up with all of these turds. We had a team full of turds. That's where I'm at in my fantasy baseball leagues. But help is on the way. Fantasy MLB today host Joe Orico. Please go check that out during our off-season here. If you play fantasy baseball, if you don't, whatever. It's our shout-out at the beginning of the show. I'll try to hit them with uh, one of those or two of those a week right now because that's going to be rolling here while we rumble along in our off-season, while we get ourselves prepared for next season. But they got stuff happening right now. We got uh, playoffs to cover. Tuesday recap. We've got a uh, Wednesday look ahead. But here's the thing, though. I, you know, I mentioned on yesterday's show, I think what I'm going to do is not actually really do a recap of necessarily the, the night before stuff so much as talk about the upcoming games because it's really about betting them at this point and then what you learn from the previous ones. So, like, for tonight... Brooklyn, Boston, Philly, Toronto, Chicago, Milwaukee. You're talking about games that happened on Sunday and Monday. We can kind of harken back to those. Although it is worth pointing out that as we talked about some of these Tuesday games, uh, Atlanta did not cover, but the under actually it ended up middling. It, the game finished in between the opening and the closing lines. Opened it, I think it was 221, and then dropped down to 217. Where did it close? Let's make sure we're getting that thing right. No, it actually came back up. It came back up to 221, so it did hit the under. Cool. You know what? I'm, I'm misremembering. That started at 217, and it climbed to like 219, and I said, that's interesting. Uh, but it needed to get even higher before the under hit, oddly enough. Game two, the under hit. That was one just because you kind of figured the game had to slow down a little bit from game one, and uh, it did. Went under by a bunch. That'll be a, a weird new number. T-Wolves did not cover. I said I liked unders, and I liked underdogs. And... Um, some of that was right. <laughs> Underdogs, less so. Uh, but let's talk about the Wednesday stuff, because Brooklyn is in Boston. Boston's favored by four, total of 226.5, which feels low given the fact that the first total was that same number, and it went over, ended at 229. And it felt like it, felt like it was going to go to 240. 
But the one thing I want folks to remember is it's not about the actual final number so much as it is what is the expected final number. Brooklyn shot 54% in that ball game. They shot the ball very, very well. Their expected final number was only about 106. So they went over by about four possessions thanks to just efficient offense. On the Boston side, they actually had more opportunities. They out-rebounded Brooklyn 43-29, to and maybe that number kind of comes toward the middle a little bit. Uh, Boston was right around where they were supposed to be, about 115 or so. So that's how you get to the number. You know, game one should have been about 221, and then Brooklyn was good. But the you know when you're trying to gauge how pace is going to play into a number... The thing you really have to take into account is, you know, is something going to come back towards a mean or did what we, I mean, is this what it's going to be now? You probably want to build in a little bit of slowing of the basketball game, but also look, free throws weren't all that high. 24 apiece, that's not crazy these days. Turnovers were a little bit high, but nothing nuts. So you could actually see the teams, even if the pace slows down, you could see them kind of making up for it with more free throws or more made free throws or fewer turnovers, whatever it happens to be, I don't think the pace gets faster than the 221-ish that this thing was sort of supposed to come out to. But I do think that there are subtle things that could happen that would boost the offensive numbers. Could Kyrie Irving be much better? Probably not. But Kevin Durant could be a whole lot better, so those could kind of cancel each other out. But Brooklyn overall was very good offensively in Game 1. Do they slow down at all? So as per usual, I would look a little bit at the under, which, you know, it's always it's never going to be a particularly popular bet. People love overs, especially in the playoffs. People love overs. Numbers coming down, by the way. It opened at 229. It's down to 226 right now. So it actually has come off. Uh, the 226 that we're looking at is actually down a few points. Um... Yeah, I still think there's a little bit of room on the under. I'm betting the pace of this one is probably going to come out near 218-ish. So there's a little bit of wiggle room there. As far as the side goes, I really don't know. Both teams, I thought, could have played better defensively. Could I don't know if the Nets actually can defend anybody. That's the other part of it. Can they? I don't know. Boston was very good offensively in that ballgame, though. So not a strong feel on the side. Sixers, one and a half point road favorites in Toronto. Raptors shorthanded as per usual. They just can't stay healthy. Everybody's sort of playing on their limbs are sewn together on that ball club. I don't know that I'm getting in on the side. I think there's this expectation that Toronto's going to get back into it. Um, Sixers look like they haven't even hit top gear yet. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, 
your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. You know me, I tend to lean a bit more towards totals when I'm betting these things. Philly won the last ball game 112 to 97. That's a 209 mark. Went under the posted number by about eight points. So they brought it down a little bit. Not a ton. Open to 214. It's up about two points since then. So it's climbing back near where the last one was. But again, if you look at these ball games and how things have paced out, you have to look to see what where should the teams have been. Toronto should have been at about 104 or so. So they were under by about seven. Philly, their whole game was free throws. Uh, but they only should have been at about 98. So pace was not particularly high in this series. And I don't know that that changes a lot. Toronto, I'm sure, would love to get out and run a little bit more than they were able to do. But I think Philly's disciplined enough that that they slog this thing out. If they turn this into a half-court thing, they're going to win. And Bede's going to run. He's going to try to beat somebody down the floor, any big man. And if he does, he's going to clobber them. And if he doesn't, they can just slow it down. And if you're saying, oh, what, Matisse Thibel's not coming... He played 10 and a half minutes in their last ballgame. Danny Green logged almost all the small forward minutes in game two. It'll probably be more competitive. Toronto's way better, or Philly's much better in their arena here. And playoffs are, uh, I don't want to talk about the regular season. Playoffs are just sort of a different beast. Uh, but I actually think this game, I, this might be one of my more preferred unders, just based on the pace we've seen so far. The fact that it's going up is creating a certain amount of room for us. And we'll kind of wait and see what that looks like as it runs up towards game time. If that number starts bouncing around and getting weird, then maybe you shy away from it. But right now, based on the pace we saw in the last ball game, it feels like there's some wiggle room underneath. And the Bulls and the Bucks. Um, more money coming in on Milwaukee than I thought with a 10-point spread. Total of 225 in this game. We've talked about this a little bit before. That last ball game that had almost no offense at all 180-something final deal, 170-something, 179? Was that the final marker? Yeah. I mean, that's so far. We're talking about like 40 points under the posted mark for the next ballgame. But here's the thing. These teams both went way under the expected number. Chicago should have been at about 115. They went under by like 30 points. They could not shoot at all. Couldn't make a three-pointer. Didn't get to the foul line all that often. The list goes on and on. But the only good thing they did offensively was they didn't turn it over that much. Milwaukee can't claim that. Bucks turned it over 21 times. Also didn't shoot the ball well and still won by seven. Missed their free throws because it was mostly Giannis. Milwaukee scored 93 points. They had an expected mark of something like 115, 116. So between the two ball clubs, I mean, this was like, 117 and 106. Like, this should be at about 233. This, I think, is going to be one of the biggest swings between a Game 1 total and a Game 2 total. Forget the posted mark. I'm talking about, like, the actual final number. I think there's there's legitimate value on an overplay in this game, and I, I can't imagine that anybody really feels that way that has uh, any sanity left to them. But that's where I'm at right now. Going crazy. Idiotic plays. I think the Bucks cover. Um, but at the same time, Chicago couldn't have been any worse. Milwaukee's almost couldn't have been any worse. This was like, we haven't really seen enough 
of what these teams want to do to make a good guess on who's going to win by how many points, which is why I think on the total side, you're going to get this kind of new, like a, a totally fresh set of fastballs from the two teams. They could just run the same stuff and see if it works better in game two because it was really just nobody could make anything. It was one of those contagious type deals. No one could make a shot, so then nobody felt like they were going to make a shot, and at some point it's just sort of too late to switch that on anything. Let's pivot into our lesson of the day. This is lesson seven on show eight, and I already told you what it was going to be on yesterday's show, but we're going to do it anyway because we kind of do it every year. And the lesson is get a buy. The value of the buy in your head-to-head playoffs cannot be overstated. Cannot be overstated. It's typically two out of six teams that make the playoffs, that get a buy. So, if if there were no buy, and every team was equal, every team should have a 1-6 in six chance of winning the playoffs. And the top two teams should have about a 33% chance of winning a playoff league. But, for a couple of reasons. Number one, not, not all teams are equal, so this doesn't exist in a vacuum. The first and second seeds in your league are probably a little bit better than the other teams. So even if you didn't have a bye, the one and the two seed would probably win a little bit more than one-sixth of the time each. Just based on the assumption that they're slightly better than the other teams in the leagues. But, and I do a poll every year, I don't know why I need to get new data, but I get new data every year. And every year we see the same thing. Which is basically that the... Not having to not having to play in the first round just on its face changes the odds that a team is going to make it through the finals. They only have to win two weeks instead of three. So I guess you could say, look, if every other team has a 50-50 shot of winning each round of their playoffs, then the teams that have a bye have to win half the time twice, which means each of those teams should have about a 25% chance of winning the championship, a half times a half. And everybody else should have about an eighth chance to win a championship. So again, if all teams were equal, having a bye should increase your chances of winning from one-sixth to one-quarter. You guys with me so far? What we find out in the polls is a couple of things. Number one, the teams that are better at the top are going to have a slightly better chance of winning simply because they're better. But also, number two, and I believe this is the real reason, getting through the semifinals is actually way easier when you don't have to play the first round of your fantasy playoffs. And I suppose maybe that's a little bit self-explanatory, but I do think we need to go in just briefly on why. The main reason is streaming. You can overwhelm the semifinals if you don't have to play the first round of the playoffs. You can take that whole week to set your team up for the next week. You get to use all four or five moves one week to set up a boatload of games played in the front end of the following one. And then all the moves the next week, you can use them if you want to drop any injured guys. You can backload that week with games played. 
you I mean, it's almost like you have eight to ten weekly moves for one week. I don't know how anyone competes with that. The only way you lose in that scenario is if you blow your moves on something nuts and like half your team gets hurt and your opponent has no injuries and just everything breaks the other way. Which is possible. It'll happen, you know, one out of every 10, 15 times, something like that. But most of the time, if you're using your moves wisely and you have two weeks worth of moves for one week, you're going to make it to the finals. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got your first and your second place team that have this really high probability, and then they're playing each other. So obviously someone, someone with a bye is in good position in your league. Well, the polls, they show us the same thing we always find, which is not only do 50% of the time the teams with a bye win. Again, this is in a vacuum, all teams equal. Each of them should win 25% of the times. So that should be 50 for the top two seeds. But it's generally in the mid-60s. It's usually quite a bit higher than 50. Usually you're talking about 30 to 33, 34%, somewhere in that neck of the woods, per team with a bye. Probably a little bit more for the first place team, a little bit less for the second place team, just because of the path they have to take through the playoffs. And the fact that the first place team was probably a little bit better. But at that point, we're splitting hairs. We don't have to be that concerned with if the first place team is, you know, 35 and the second place team is 30. Together they end up in the mid-60s. In the mid-60s. This is a big poll, and I get it. Some of you are going to be like, Dan, my league so-and-so did so-and-so. Yeah, because that means mid-30s, someone else won it. But it's uncommon. It's uncommon. First place team won uh, one of my head-to-head leagues. Second place team won the other. One of them I didn't even bother to look after the first, I don't know, head-to-head leagues as soon as I got eliminated I stopped paying attention but I know it was a one and a two someone with a buy won the two that I was paying close attention to and look at the other ones it is mathematically incredibly important and so it ties back into what we talked about yesterday which is getting off to a quick start get off to a quick start and this, they get, this is very head-to-head-y because you don't have playoffs in your Roto League. So this is one that really is much more for head-to-head players. Frankly, this whole show post-playoff uh, betting recap is really about head-to-head leagues. You draft a healthy team. You stream a little bit at the outset. That gives you the opportunity to, if you want to stash or whatever, try to build up a little bit of cushion. Don't punt more than one category, two at the absolute most, because otherwise it becomes really difficult to go better than six to three in a given week. It's really easy to lose five, four, six, three, but it's really hard to win more than five, four, six, three. You know, so it's really hard to be a first or second place team if your biggest wins are only 5-4 and 6-3. You need some 7-2s and 8-1s in there if you really want to be in the top couple of seeds. And I get it. If you're punting three things and your team is super strong in five and a half categories, that makes you really tough come playoff time. But here's the thing. Playoff time is a little bit of a crapshoot. So wouldn't you want to eliminate some percentage, a third of your playoff battles to cut down on the crap shootiness of it? 
Hell yeah, you would. 65%. That's what we're generally near, between 60 and 66% of the time a team with a first-round bye wins the head-to-head playoffs. And again, don't get me started on them just being a better team. They are a little bit better. But we're talking already the bump from a sixth to a quarter. So instead of 33% for the top two teams, it goes up to 50. A sixth to a quarter. And then it jumps another 5 or 6% to almost a third based on being able to stream hard in the first round. Well, I guess it'd be the semis. So the second round of the playoffs, the first round for a team with a bye, the semis. And then, you know, whatever small amount you want to call is just being a slightly better team than the other guys. So the thing is, like, I don't think that the being a better team thing in really competitive leagues is that big of a deal. Like, I think the third place team is usually pretty freaking close to the second place team. Sure, maybe the first place team is a bit better than the sixth place team, but like first, second, third, fourth, those teams are usually all pretty pretty tight to one another. Teams coming up five, six, maybe they're getting guys healthy. Playoffs, anything can happen when you get in that one-on-one battle. So just eliminate so much of the uncertainty of it. Eliminate a week where your best player could just miss two games and you lose. Set yourself up to go bananas in the semifinal, especially if your league pays first and second place. Get that first round by. Do everything in your power to get that first round by. Because I would venture to say that, you know, even if you have to drop like a sixth or a seventh round kind of guy to get you there, if your seventh round player is has to miss two months or something. And you're thinking, oh, that's a good player. I don't want to sit on this guy. But if hanging on to that dude means you fall from second to fourth place, I would drop him. I would drop him in December, even if they're going to help you in the playoffs. It's more important to get a first-round bye than to have one decent player. If we're talking about like a first, second, third rounder, yeah, you obviously have to sit on that type of guy. And, you know, you'll have your IL slots, whatever they can cover for you. But getting the bye is one of the most important things. I would, again, say that it's as important as a fifth or a sixth round pick. Maybe more. Maybe, you know what? It's more. It's more. Because by the second round of your playoffs, you're probably within two or three weeks of the end of the season, weirdos are going to start popping up. You're going to have top 75, top 65, top 60 values that just explode out of nowhere. Tanking teams, guys getting rested, whatever. Things of that nature. And you're going to be hard streaming anyway. So like the bottom four or five guys on your team are going to be in a constant rotation at that point. First round by is the holy grail of head-to-head playoffs. You can win it without it. But you got to double, almost double the chance to do it with it. Because it just sets you up in so many different ways. Keeping today short, ladies and gentlemen. Short show here on this Wednesday. Uh, enjoy it. Back at you tomorrow, Thursday. More lessons learned, more playoff stuff. We'll see if we can 
get the sides and the totals for once instead of just the totals. I mean, I told you guys going into this, betting playoff totals is really more my thing, but I'm throwing leans out on the sides too and, you know, taking a wet dump all over them. I am Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Sing song conclusion to a show. I don't have to rush my way through the outro here. At Dan Vespers on Twitter, I'll talk to you guys over there. So long for now.